0: people know which region of Japan produced the highest quality seaweed. And so just like how, you know, I I would say in the Western world, people would try to learn a lot about where wine comes from, who grew it, why it's different from other wineries. These things happen on almost every category of food in Japan. Tomatoes, strawberries, oranges, fish.
1: This is Little America, a show about the immigrant experience one story at a time. I'm your host, Kumail Nanjiani. So we all have food memories, right? Remembering that perfect meal we had that one time in that one place long ago? We take one bite and the memories of that moment just come flooding back. I remember the first time I had a shawarma. I was a little kid in Karachi, Pakistan, on the roof of this hotel... And I just saw this like meat rotating on a spit, and I was like, what is that? And I just kept going back and getting more and more and more. I started learning what parts of the rotating meat were my favorite. I'd point at it and the guy would carve it out. That was also the first night I tried a float, like a soda with ice cream. I don't know why I hadn't thought to do that before. I love soda, I love ice cream, putting them together, genius. So, you know, that was a pretty great night. Today's story is about a man dedicated to bringing us his special food memory. He's doing everything in his power to engineer the perfect strawberry. Here's Hannah Kingsley Ma with the story.
2: There's a TikTok I watched from last year of someone unboxing a container of strawberries with a lot of enthusiasm. Yo, these strawberries look... While exquisite. Content creator Jakey Cho marvels at the splendor of six perfect red berries, packaged like a box of chocolates, with each berry in its own tiny plastic bed. He picks one up and pops it into his mouth.
0: Mm. Yo, yo. I'm not even, yo, I'm not making this shit up. This is the best strawberry I've ever had in my life.
2: After all six are devoured, and all that's left are the leafy stems, Cho glances at the price. Yo, hold up.
0: Yo, it's $50, though. It's $50 for strawberries that I just consumed with the quickness, yo.
2: Yo, who comes up with these things, yo? The man who comes up with these things is Hiroki Koga. His mission in life is to recreate the status berries of his youth 6,000 miles across the ocean. At Oishi, the company he co-founded in New Jersey, Hiroki is dreaming up a different type of strawberry than we're used to here in the U.S. His berry is based on the kinds that grow in the Japanese Alps. They're smaller, sweeter, always ripe, and always perfect, it says on the company's website. And the price point is different, too. So, where does one engineer this perfect strawberry? About as far away from bucolic farmlands as you can get.
0: Okay, let's, uh, let's go into the farm then. Okay, great,
2: thank you. Oishi's headquarters exist on a flat stretch of nondescript industrial warehouse spaces, next to a correctional facility and a helicopter pad. Visitors have to sign an NDA to enter. If you
0: could uh, take yep. off your shoes here again, you can just leave them here.
2: You even have to change into a pair of house slippers. Not once, but twice.
0: Now you Thank can you. Uh, change into the house slippers. It might be a little bit small. No,
2: that's fine. <laughs> there was something both intimate and familiar about this gesture. And yet, it also felt like I was suiting up for some top secret mission. Nothing from the outside makes it into the hermetically sealed world Hiroki has built. Nothing tracked in. No strawberry-killing pathogens, nor microbes. No errant sun nor rain. Not even snoopers out here to steal Hiroki's proprietary technology. He speaks the jargon of a startup founder. Everything is optimized. Even the bees.
0: We have an algorithm that we developed in-house that controls the bee activity that happens within the farm every day, so that the bee activity is optimized for that specific day.
2: How do you optimize bees?
0: We are able to influence whether they want to stay at home.
2: We'll get to the bees later, but first, the berries. There were these little baubles, reddish with an almost orange hue. They look like festive Christmas ornaments. Everyone in the facility was wearing white jumpsuits, which made the fruit pop even more.
1: Here
0: is our R&D area. We have uh, this room where we have multiple scientists working and analyzing on how to perfect strawberry production.
2: I peeked through any window I could find. Here and there were bits of of leaves and neatly lined rows of plants.
0: We have a lot of what's called grow chambers or grow rooms. So this is a miniature version of our production farm. But what this allows us to do is test extreme weather conditions.
2: When we were walking through the farm, I told Hiroki it reminded me of Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Hiroki told me he got that comparison a lot. And just like Willy Wonka, in here, Hiroki is a god. He controls the weather, the humidity, the length of night and day. At one point, he took me into an area where people were packing the fruit into boxes. Nobody actually touched a single berry, just the stem. Oh my goodness. This is how they're
1: getting packed.
2: I can smell it. Yes. Through all these doors.
0: (laughs) Right, through these insulation (laughs) panels,
2: six inch insulation panels. It smelled like someone squeezed a whole bucket of strawberries and then put their pulpy hands in front of my face. It smelled impossibly sweet, like candy, which it turns out was Hiroki's original line of business way back in the day, before he was even a teenager.
0: I became very popular because I was always eating Japanese snacks, and kids loved them.
2: It all started on a playground in Paris. For a couple years when Hiroki was a kid, his dad worked for the Japanese government in France, so the family lived there.
0: That was the first time I realized and or became conscious that I am Japanese. As a kid, you would never have that experience if you lived in, especially in Japan, because we are such a homogenous population.
2: When he was nine, Hiroki was enrolled in an international school. There were kids from countries all over the world. But he said he was the only one from Japan. And the people wanted what he had, namely his gummy candy.
0: All sorts of different flavors, like lemon flavor, grapefruit flavor. A lot of them were fruit flavored, but um, they were just, the texture and the flavor was just very different from your, um, what are those uh, like bear-shaped gummy bears in the USA? So these Japanese gummies were, almost any any kind of gummies that I brought back were, were a huge hit.
2: Hiroki realized that he could parlay these treasure goods into a currency all his own. There was this one snack. A kinder egg, you know, the Italian chocolate egg with a toy inside, that he saw all of the other kids at school enjoying. But his mom wouldn't buy them for him. They were too expensive. So instead, he traded much cheaper quantities of his prized gummies in exchange.
0: And so every time I go back to Japan, I would bring in a suitcase full of Japanese snacks, and I would share it with my friends.
2: His classmates didn't know much about the particulars of where he was from, but they knew a lot about what his country made. What they exported.
0: You know, back then, Toyota, you know, all the cars, I think we dominated the market. And then also anime. But on the electronic side of things, Sony, Toshiba, Panasonic.
2: The fact that all the kids at school associated his homeland with the technology they used every day, it made an impression on him that stuck, even after his family moved back to Japan. Hiroki took pride in the fact that people all across the world clamored for what Japan was producing. Back home, the messaging was different.
1: Japan was once the land of permanent employment, jobs for life, not now. My
0: parents' generation, they lived this crazy generation where Japan was one of the largest countries in the world in terms of economic growth, uh, impact, right? Whereas I grew up being told by adults that Japan used to be great, <laughs> but we're on a decline, right? And so that just really felt sad.
2: Hiroki's generation belonged to what they called the lost decade.
0: You would see it everywhere, your
1: teachers, your news. In 1989, Japan's red-hot economy was showing all the signs of a bubble. In the middle of that year, that bubble burst. It led to the so-called lost decade of economic growth. In fact, it's been two lost decades.
0: You're just haunted,
1: right? Because you don't feel like you
0: can do anything about it. It's, it's a huge macro trend. We didn't grow while all of the other countries were growing. So it's not that people are losing jobs. People have jobs, but their salary has stayed the same while the rest of the world has, has doubled. And so I felt like Japan had more to give and share with the world And I felt like I wanted to tell the world that there's just so much more that we can do.
2: And to do that, he would have to leave the country. By this point, Hiroki was in a serious relationship with a woman named Hayami. They met in high school, and she'd soon become his wife. Hiroki knew a grad degree would give him a leg up, but it would mean living apart from Hayami and leaving behind a stable job.
0: And so what I was doing back in Japan I was I was working in consulting I was making a decent salary it wasn't that it was it wasn't a fun job at all but I ultimately felt like I could be replaced by anyone at any moment
2: Hiroki had bigger ambitions than that so he spent practically all of his savings to cover tuition and got on a plane to UC Berkeley to get his MBA When Hiroki came to the US in addition to a million other cultural differences He was struck by how lackluster the produce was. It was like that gummy candy thing all over again. The fruits and veggies at the grocery store were often gigantic, but they lacked flavor. He thought people should know how sumptuous fruit could be, what kind of textures were possible. In Japan, Hiroki grew up with an informal education about where and when things were grown and who did it best.
0: And so just like how, you know, I I would say in the Western world, people would try to learn a lot about where wine comes from, who grew it why it's different from other wineries. These things happen on almost every category of food in Japan. Tomatoes, strawberries, oranges, fish, even things like seaweed. People know which region of Japan produced the highest quality seaweed.
2: Hiroki says it's the islands north of Hokkaido, in case you're interested. So while his classmates eyed the startups and tech giants just South in Silicon Valley, Hiroki started seriously thinking about farming specifically vertical farming. It's a technique he learned about back in Japan. And now he noticed more and more investors were getting behind it in California. And meanwhile, statewide, a drought was raging. Vertical farming is more shielded from the chaos of climate change. You can do it indoors for one. He put two and two together. And so his second year, he came up with the idea to start a vertical farm of his own. He co-founded the company with Brendan Somerville, a former Marines officer who was also interested in agriculture. They set their sights on one target, the strawberry. The strawberry had loomed large ever since Hiroki was a child.
0: So in Japan, strawberry is called the king of fruits. And it is the most popular Fruit. Like, every time there's a survey, strawberry is constantly ranked number one.
2: Hiroki says unless you're very rich, strawberries aren't an everyday food. Instead, they are something coveted, worth savoring. They mark special occasions, celebrations. In Japan, strawberries are a winter fruit. That's when strawberry everything pops up everywhere.
0: And if you have a chance to go to a department store in Christmas in Japan, everything is Red just filled with strawberries. Even, like, the pastry shops would try to put strawberries in every single thing that they, they bake.
2: Christmas for Hiroki was marked by him consuming a beautiful strawberry shortcake that his mother bought. But usually strawberries were a gift from someone else, a show of largesse.
0: And so when I come home and there would be strawberries on the table, even as, as, a, as, as a child, I knew... Something was was being celebrated, whether if it was someone's birthday or someone got promoted or, you know, someone made an accomplishment or if it's a holiday.
2: Like Kuroki mentioned, you'd buy them from the department store, just like you would an expensive sweater.
0: So here, you know, strawberries are just throwing a clamshell. But um, in Japan, these are housed in (laughs) a very fancy looking tray with a clear lid on it, and it would always have the name of the varietal of that strawberry. So it wouldn't just say strawberries, it would be this is this type of strawberry that was grown in this region by this person, and it has these kind of characteristics in terms of flavor.
2: If you had questions, there would be a salesperson nearby, a strawberry sommelier
0: and people will have a conversation and they'll they'll learn what the differences are and they'll select whatever you know that suits their budget or suits the flavor profile that they're looking for it says red and sweet princess
2: <laughs> they're princess roko goes back to japan a lot On a recent trip, Hayami took him on a bit of a strawberry shopping spree. She'll tell you that she's responsible for planting the proverbial seed that became oishi. She loves strawberries, and she always has.
0: When we lived in Japan together, I remember that during the season, the strawberry season, we would always have strawberries. And I was trying to save every penny back then to go to MBA so we couldn't waste money. But it was just one thing she would never give up on. And I used to be mad about it. (laughs) Not knowing that, you know, I would start a strawberry business after MBA back then. There's like one strawberry in this box. Just one in each box. Yeah, that's uh,
1: that's five bucks per.
0: Wow. No, it's Hmm?
1: 12. Oh.
0: Or 13
1: bucks. Burberry, oh my
0: gosh, this is more expensive than the (laughs) Bushi, Wow. Should we try? Okay, this one is grown by Mr. Oda. (laughs) (laughs) This is the name of the farmer. So, anything that requires pollination is multiple folds harder and more challenging than leafy greens. Strawberries, especially high-quality strawberries, is something that you know almost any farmer would dream of mastering.
2: So make no mistake, mastering a strawberry hiroki was a gauntlet. It represented a dare, an effort to bend the rules of nature to his will. Hiroki was trying to recreate the berry of his childhood in a world outside of place or time. And Hiroki knew that if he was going to bring his strawberries to the global stage, the place he had to be was New York. If he could convince the celebrated chefs and foodies there his strawberries were special, more people would get on board. But first, he needed to find a home for his farm. When Hiroki arrived on the East Coast, he shared a tiny apartment with his co-founder in New Jersey. He said they searched desperately for a space to start growing their crop. A vertical farm sounded like a lot of mess. Lights and dirt and water and bees. And that's when they got a lucky break.
0: The, the landlord was actually, she was obsessed with bees. And so when we talked about our technology, she was like, bees,
2: yes. Hiroki's co-founder got used shipping containers for a bargain. They cleaned them like mad and then tried to rig them up to develop their first prototype. Hiroki had never built something like this before. He watched a lot of YouTube.
0: So yes, it was a nightmare, you know, putting together thousands of these drippers of like irrigation tubes. <laughs> or, you know, we didn't have any uh, fail-safe systems at first, so we had to be on our, our phone, or alerts, 24-7. If something fails, we had to come in, fix it at, you know, even if it was 2 a.m., 3 a.m. in the morning. We had to sleep. In, in, our, in the warehouses sometimes
2: there were big setbacks like this one time where things went really wrong.
0: The lights didn't turn off and the temperature in our farm just kept on going up and um, it was during the summer so even if we turned the lights off the temperature didn't go down very quickly and you know we lost we lost a lot of plants and it was just devastating because we had spent so much time growing these plants and overnight, you know, they're gone.
2: And then there was the challenge of pollination. At first, Hiroki and his co-workers did it manually.
0: So you have the stamens around the center of the flower and then you need to make sure that you, you take the pollens off of these stamens and then basically put it in the center of the flower where, where it becomes the fruit, right? You can pollinate flowers using uh, like makeup brushes. And so I was in the farm personally hand-brushing every single flower in the farm with my co-founder, Brendan, every day.
2: They use makeup brushes. They use Q-tips. They brush 10 circles around the flowers, and five, and one. They obsessively check the progress of their plants.
0: You see the center of the flower starting to grow little by little, and then it starts becoming, you know, a white strawberry and then you're wishing, you know, please keep on growing bigger and bigger and not stop here.
2: And then came one very small, very exciting strawberry. They watched it go from white to light pinkish orange to finally a proper red. The moment required ceremony.
0: We, we bought a white backdrop. <laughs> we put this tiny strawberry onto this uh, base, right? And then uh, one of our interns had a, you know, heavy duty, like a real camera. So we would shoot it from so many different angles because, you know, this was our first berry, the historic berry.
2: They split that tiny first strawberry three ways. And yet still, the team was only partway there. Makeup brushes weren't gonna cut it. They needed the bees to do the pollinating for them. And at first, the bees had no idea what in the hell was going on.
0: They first come out of the hive, and they're very cautious, right? They're like, where are we? It doesn't look like what we're used to seeing in the way that we usually see them, right? In the nature, they know what they're doing, so the way they fly is very, what direction they're going to is very clear. But for these bees, because they're just, so not used to the environment and they believe they're not in nature, they start flying in a very weird pattern. And you'd almost, like anyone who don't even know about bees can kind of tell that they're maybe drunk
2: (laughs) and flying. There's a video Hiroki shared with me of a big aha moment in the early days of the farm.
0: You know, the three of us were looking, staring at the beehive, right? And then the bee comes out and all you know, three pairs of eyes are focused on this single bee, <laughs> and just looking where it's gonna go and whether if it's gonna go to the seedlings. And then you know we start seeing them flying to the seedling that has a flower, and and we're all like, "Come on, land on that flower!" <laughs> and then you know, after a few seconds, it actually does land on the flower and starts rubbing his. Uh, his butt against the the center of the flower. And that was, yeah, that that was a magical moment for us.
2: You can hear it faintly, the sound of them all freaking out when the bee suddenly lands. <laughs> oh, They'd done it. After all those nights sleeping on the warehouse floor, the hand pollination, the bee coaxing, they were ready for customers. They just needed to get some.
0: We avoided a lot of Japanese restaurants at the start because we thought it was cheating. Mm -hmm. Selling Japanese strawberries to Japanese restaurants, of course they get it, right? It doesn't prove the market, doesn't validate anything.
2: Hiroki told me he didn't want people to think this was just an Asian thing. For better or worse, it mattered to him that he had the approval and intention of a Western audience. So even before they had a viable product, Hiroki and his team had been cultivating potential buyers.
0: We went all the way to the bottom, like to Battery Park area. And then we started hiking up all of Manhattan from the bottom and just knocking on doors of uh, Michelin-starred restaurants and then also hotels.
2: But the cold calls weren't working. All those gatekeepers wouldn't let a bunch of unknowns through to the celebrity chefs. So Hiroki had to get creative.
0: You know, this wasn't really planned, and I think it almost happened in the moment. But um, we were at one of the, the restaurants, and the receptionist asked, you know, do you have an appointment, as always? And uh, we basically <laughs> said the chef, you know, told us to come to the kitchen, we have an appointment. And the receptionist goes, okay, well, in, in, that, in that case, please follow me.
2: That little fib worked. And as Michelin-starred chefs came on board, a more populous crowd started to vie for the berries, or as populous as a $50 box of strawberries could be.
0: And then we started building this wait list where people can sign up. And um, basically, we had, I think, a couple to a few thousand people on the wait list. Um, After the first year, we will call people from the top of the list and tell them if they can come to World Trade Center the next day at 6 p.m., Sharp. (laughs) Right in front of the path station. (laughs) And that's where we would hand off our berries.
2: They handed them out in front of the path station because that's the train Oishi's intern would use to commute to the farm. So basically, he was just handing them the goods on the way back to his apartment.
0: But then this kind of became a thing because people were hearing about this secret strawberry that you can only buy at World Trade Center (laughs) with a 24-hour notice.
2: Nowadays, the strawberry supply isn't as scarce. You can find oishi strawberries at several high-end restaurants in New York City and specialty grocery stores. You can order them online and have them delivered to your door like you are practically royalty. But the strawberry was never the end goal. The strawberry is a stepping point into a larger vision.
0: Going forward, once you really figure out what the best recipe is for... Particular type of crop or a particular variety of crops, a lot of it can be automated, especially the environmental condition can be automated. And so once you perfect that recipe, there's not a lot of adjustments theoretically. And so I think we're going to the next stage of um, agriculture. And it's just a matter of what are you producing in these factories? Are you producing cars or are you producing vegetables and fruits?
2: I thought it was interesting that he compared it to a car. It felt like a throwback to when he was a kid in Paris. The thing he mentioned other kids recognizing Japan making, when Japan dominated the automotive market. And given how Oishi works, the automation, the optimization, the hyper-controlled sanitized setting, Oishi is worlds away from the strawberry fields of California where I'm from. Is this place a farm or a factory? Are they harvesting strawberries or data?
0: We have a, a robot that's running around the farm. It's a self-driving robot um, developed by uh, a couple of our engineers.
2: It's both, of course. I thought about the artisan growers in Japan that inspired Hiroki's push for excellence. And I thought about the generations of Japanese-American farmers across the West Coast who pioneered the produce I grew up eating. At one point, I asked Hiroki, did he consider himself a farmer?
0: I'd like to think so, but... um. You know, obviously I haven't been in the farms every day harvesting and maintaining these plants for the past couple to few years. I did everything on my own with with Brendan for the first couple of years, but we've been really focused on expanding the team and building the team and expanding our business. So it'd be a lie if I say I can proudly say I'm a farmer because I know how much work it requires to be a real farmer.
2: In spring of 2022, Oishi announced it's going to open a 74,000-foot farm in a former beer factory in New Jersey, its largest yet. You can now get Oishi strawberries for 20 bucks a pack. They're starting to sell at Whole Foods and opened up a farm on the West Coast. And they're diversifying into other products like tomatoes and melons. All this growth makes me think about that other CEO people compare Hiroki to. Willy Wonka was also a man searching for the taste and smell of childhood. For the children who visit, his factory is a place of wonder, pushing the frontiers of science, but also nothing short of an ethical obstacle course. Meanwhile, what of Hiroki's perfect strawberry? I emerged from the Oishi facility on a miserable February day. It was slushy and cold. I had a box of ripe strawberries tucked protectively under my arm. Back home in my apartment, I could hear the sound of sleet hitting my window. I sat down with my boyfriend, Nick, and took out a microphone. Yeah, I can smell them, and I'm I'm a good foot away from them. I can smell them. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I do feel just maybe based on the price of them that I should eat, you know, whereas with a normal strawberry, I would probably toss away a, the, the head of it. I feel like I should eat every single bit of this other than the leaves. Maybe the leaves do. I don't think you're supposed to eat the leaves. Mm, still pretty good up there, too. <laughs> don't eat the leaves. Okay. Or maybe, I don't know. Mm. Later, Nick confessed that as special as these strawberries were, the taste of them had evoked a different kind of memory in him. The feeling of a warm day and getting a pint of misshapen, rapidly softening, jammy little berries, irregular and deformed, slowly rotting sort of like a Dutch still life that reminds you you're going to die one day. We knew we were being really extra about it. Even as we were saying this, we were greedily eating another $16 worth of fruit. You want to have another one? Uh, I, yeah, I do. Hiroki had brought us a strawberry from thousands and thousands of miles away. But in the end, when we closed our eyes and tasted it, what we returned to wasn't the strawberry of his childhood, but the strawberries of our own.
1: Little America is an Apple TV Plus podcast from Epic. Produced in conjunction with the Vox Media Podcast Network. This story was reported by Hannah Kingsley Ma. Our editor is Lisa Suek. Our engineer is Adrian Lilly. Brandon McFarlane composed the show's theme song. Emma Gross is our senior producer. Zach Mack is our showrunner. Lishat Kurwa and Josh Behrman are the executive producers. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts and watch Little America on Apple TV Plus where available. Season 2 of Little America premieres on Apple TV Plus on December 9th.